Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Partiality. When you show partiality, you're showing more than you think. You're showing an earthly mentality. Well, you look at the rich person compared to the poor person, you're showing an earthly mentality. Money. The Beatles famously said, it can't buy you love. But in this world, money can buy you pretty much anything else. When it comes to the church, however, God has a different expectation. Who gives you the right to determine who has worth or value in this world? Who made you the judge to think that you could say who was better than somebody else? Oh, and by the way, the only reason you're doing it, the only reason you're trying to flatter the rich guys because you're hoping that the rich guy is going to leave a big fat check in the offering plate today. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in James chapter 2 this week as we continue with our series, Building on the Basics. The book, or letter of James, is helping us to build the basic of faith into our lives. As Pastor Clay is going to explain today, one of the ways we live out our faith is in the way we treat other people. Sadly, throughout history, there have been those who have gained prominence and position in the church because they had money. As we're going to hear today, there is no place for partiality in the body of Christ. One of the ways in which we live out our faith is in the way we treat other people. Certainly, if I believe in God, if I I believe in His love, if I believe in what He's doing, certainly it should affect how I treat other people. As Pastor Clay is going to explain, when you show partiality, you're showing more than you think. Thanks for joining us. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message. story before, but this was years ago. I was in high school, uh, 16 years old, and uh, had my driver's license, and uh, all my, my friends, we were all, you know, same age, had our driver's license stuff, and uh, we grew up in a very small town, a redneck little cowboy town, it really was, in Okeechobee, and um, there was this place in Okeechobee in the center of town that was called Teen Town. Yeah, probably a lot of towns have, have some, something called, it was a dance hall, right? It was this place where teenagers went and they hung out and they, they uh, danced and all that kind of stuff, right? So uh, there's a dance one Friday or Saturday night, whatever it was, at, at Teen Town and, and, uh, and we're all up there. And we're, we're across the street from Teen Town, in, uh, which was right in front of the courthouse, right? And we are, um, we're 16 and uh, you know how that is to be 16 and we are uh, consuming adult beverages. So, um, so as we're consuming adult beverages, uh, all of a sudden, these lights like, like come in on us. And two police cars pull in, right? These four 16-year-old kids. Y'all with me? Y'all all right? It was kind of a gasp when I said that a minute ago. It's all right. It's okay. So... Um, you're 16, right? And they, and they, and they all they get out of the car. The, the police officers all get out of the car. And they want to see our driver's license, right? So we all get out our driver's license. This is a, you just, it's it funny now. But uh, these just, these, who my friends were. And uh, so uh, the first, first guy, uh, it was my, my, really my best friend, Bob Rollerson. And, um, and uh, so he's looking at me, he says, uh, you're Bob Rollerson? He says, yeah. He says, uh, isn't your uh, grandfather county commissioner? Yes, sir, he is. And um, the next one, uh, Tim Ernest, isn't your father the uh, principal of the high school? Yes, sir, he is. <laughs> uh, Karen Williamson, uh, isn't your dad on the school board? 
Uh, yes, sir, he is. <laughs> Clay Stevens. Hey, you're not, you're not anybody. Uh, <laughs> my dad, you know, he was a dairyman. He owned a dairy. But, I mean, he wasn't, like, in politics or any of that kind of stuff. But, right? That's one of, that's, that's one of those fortuitous moments for me. Because what are they going to do? They've got, they've got the high school principal's kid, the school board commissioner's kid, and the, and the county commissioner's grandson. Drinking. What are, what are they going to do in there? 16. So they just let us go. They just, y'all, y'all throw that away. <laughs> in, in that case, for me, being 16, um, partiality worked out in my favor. But partiality is not something that God looks on well. If you brought your Bible with you today, you can open it to James chapter 2. We are building on the basics, and we're in the book of James. And James uh, really uh, hits, hits a lot of different ideas, but it's always coming back to that main idea of what? Say it. Faith. James is big on faith, as obviously all of Scripture is. But James is big on faith. He's going to come up again and again. We're in James chapter 2. We're reading this morning verses 1 through 13. The text, of course, is on the screen as well. Uh, and if you brought a copy of God's Word, uh, hopefully you'll follow along uh, there uh, also. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the sin of partiality. You ready? My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on my footstool. Have you not made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich man who oppress you? And personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Today, uh, I want to share 
obviously I've got you know, enough stuff to say, but, uh, but uh, I'm, today I'm doing something that I tend to do from time to time and bring kind of an encompassing idea, what, what we call here at Cross Culture the BP squared, the big picture biblical principle from James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 and this idea of, of partiality. And this is, this is what I'm kind of saying about it this morning. The, the, the BP squared looks like this. When you show partiality, you're showing more than you think. Now, we saw last week that James um, hammers on this idea of living out your faith. That it's, it's an idea that he's going to come back to uh, at several points in his letter, even later on in chapter 2, as we'll see uh, next week. This idea that your faith has to be active. Your faith has to be something that you live out. That if it's, if it's real, if it's authentic, if it's genuine, that it has to affect your life. It has to change your life in some way. You have to be different as a result of it. And, and James uh, really basically says that this person who is a, a hearer of the word, that's the way James puts it, he's a person who's a hearer of the word but not a doer of the word. James says that person's only fooling themselves. They're just kidding themselves about this whole uh, Jesus thing because, because what, you, what you take in up here, what you... Uh, Try and uh, conceptualize, let's put it that way, what you conceptualize up here. In other words, I, I hear this message of God's love and, and God's plan and my sin and my problem and my need for redemption. And, and I begin to process that in my mind. Whenever that happened for any person, and, and if it may be a person here for the very first time, but when I begin to conceptualize that idea in my mind, it should, as a result, begin to internalize in here. In my heart, not, not the muscle that pumps blood around your body, but, but in who you are, the person that you are, your soul, or how do you want to put it? this, this person that you are. What I conceptualize up here and begin to understand begins to internalize in here. And if it internalizes in here, here's where, here's where James is going this, and we're really going to see this next week. If it internalizes in here, then it should externalize here. In, in what I do, in, in who I am, in, in how I live my life. And James... James James hits that idea a lot. And one of the ways in which we live out our faith is in the way we treat other people. Would you not agree that would make sense? Certainly if I believe in God, if I, if I believe in his love, if I believe in, in, his, in, in what he's doing, certainly it should affect how I treat other people. Would you not agree with that? Guys, you agree with that? James gives an example. And I may be wrong, but, but I get the impression that, that this is something James has seen in the church. Maybe you've seen something like this in the church. A guy walks in, and, uh, and it's apparent that he's well off. He, 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 is, he is dressed well. He's got on nice jewelry. Uh, to contextualize it to, to today, it might depend on the church, but maybe he's got on a nice suit and tie. <laughs> Suit and tie, it's looking sharp. By the way, just for fun, just, just for fun, uh, y'all like to see the most expensive suit in the world? Thank you, Ivy. I, it was going to be shaky there for a moment. Ivy's the only one that wants to see the most expensive suit in the world. Here it is. Here's the most expensive suit in the world. It's the Stuart Hughes Diamond Edition. It's just shy of a million bucks for a suit. <laughs> it, 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 listen, it has 480 individual half-carat diamonds on it. <laughs> That's a lot of bedazzle. 
I mean, who's, who's ostentatious enough to even wear that thing? <laughs> no, Trump would. That's not, you know, I don't know. So, but it's a nice suit. Right, right. Okay, so maybe that's, a, maybe that's a tad over the top. Let's say that it's only the eighth most expensive suit in the world. Here it is. It's the Brioni Vanquish 2. I'll show this picture when we were setting up and stuff. Some people thought that this was the price of the car. No, it's the price of the suit. It's $43,000. Now, I like that suit for no other reason than that's the suit James Bond prefers. So it's, it's, it's got to be cool in some way. But the guy comes walking in and he's dressed not. Now, listen, I, I know at, at, at Cross Culture, you know, we're, we're maybe not, we're a little more, about fell down there. <laughs> we're a little more casual. Right, okay, all right, we're, we're a little more casual in the way we dress, for the most part. Not, by the way, not because we think that we should approach God casually. Absolutely not. But because we just believe that no person should, should decide not to attend here because they don't think they have nice enough clothes to wear. And I, I have, I've seen that. I've, I've personally encountered a person that I could not get to come to church because they didn't think they had nice enough clothes. And besides, I'm just telling you, it's just me. I've always believed that God is a lot more interested about what's on the inside than what's on the outside. And as long as I'm being honest, not all, but some of the best dressed church people I've ever known were also the most unkind, unforgiving, and ungodly people I've known. I'm not all, I'm just, I'm just saying some. There's an old saying, clothes make the man. I don't know if that's true or not, but I can absolutely tell you this, that clothes do not make the follower of Jesus. So, anyway, uh, you, you can spend money, right? Any of us can spend money on clothes. Money can be spent on, on clothes. Even clothes that might be considered in the culture in which we live more casual in their appearance. Blue jeans. For example, I, know, I know people that, that like to buy, and maybe some of you, like designer blue jeans or name brand or label or high-end blue jeans. I've heard, of, you know, that I know some people spend $100, $200, $300 on a pair of jeans. Yeah. I, I recently uh, picked up uh, these jeans, pair of sevens. That didn't really mean anything to me either. But that's, pair of sevens. Got them somewhere in Ohio on our road trip to Iowa. $15. Well, that was a good deal. Now, my wife was kind of surprised that I got these jeans because they've got just kind of a little bit of a fancy stitching on the, uh, on the, on the back pockets. And, uh, and my wife knows I am not big on fancy stitching. When I, when I was a kid, you get beat up if you wore clothes with fancy stitching on it. You know what I'm saying? But you can, but you can spend money. You can, you know, and, and, and apparently that's the case here in James. This guy walks in, and, and he is dressed well, he's got on nice jewelry. He's, he's look, he or she is, is looking sharp, right? And right behind him and or her comes this other person. And they're not dressed so nice. Maybe they're, they're, James indicates their, their clothes are dirty. Maybe their clothes are, are old. Their, their clothes come straight off the rack of the Dollar General store. Whatever the case may be. But it's, it's, it's clear, it's obvious that this person is uh, poor in in relation to the other person. This person doesn't have a lot of material things. And somebody in the church jumps up and says to the rich person, Welcome, sir. We are so glad you're with us today. Thanks so much for coming. Here, take my seat. 
And to the poor person, he says, stand, stand over there in the corner. Better yet, just, just sit down here at my feet. We don't want you messing up our nice pews. And James responds to his story in verse 4 when he says, Have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Have you not become, made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with, and he, said, and he adds this, with evil motives? In other words, hey, who gives you the right to determine who has worth or value in this world? Who made you the judge to think that you could say who was better than somebody else? Oh, and by the way, the only reason you want, you're doing it, the only reason you're trying to flatter the rich guys because you're hoping that the rich guy is going to leave a big fat check in the offering plate today. That's essentially what James is saying. He says there is no place for that in the body of Christ. You are showing partiality. And, and you're showing more than you think. For one thing, you're showing an earthly mentality by this attitude, by this approach, the way, the way you look at the rich person compared to the poor person, you're showing an, an earthly mentality. And look what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says, but, but you have dishonored the poor man. You've dishonored him with your conduct. And, and by the way, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Now listen, this, I know this is kind of difficult for us as Americans maybe to get a hold of this idea because the majority of Americans are what we consider middle class. Most of us here would be middle class, right? But in, but in much of the world, in most of the world, even today, certainly back then, middle class, it wasn't really something that existed, there was either the people that had a great amount of wealth, had all the money, had the land, had the property, owned the houses, all that kind of stuff. And then there was the other people that just, they're just trying to get by. They're just trying to eke out a living. They're just trying to survive from day to day. Work the fields, go to do this, do whatever, and just get enough to feed my family today. That's basically, there was this, there was this contrast between those two people. There wasn't, wasn't a lot of middle class and it was, the, it was the wealthy people who, who owned the houses. And, and so if you, if you were not so well off and they, they owned the land that you went out and worked. And if you didn't, if you didn't pay your rent, they're the ones that are going to drag you into court. Not, by the way, to get the money out of you because you didn't have it. But so that they, you could legally be thrown into debtor's prison or, or, or whatever the case uh, might be. And then he could, he could legally throw your wife and kids out on the street. James says, this is the guy you're trying to flatter? This is the guy you're trying to impress? By the way, this is not to say that all people who have money, that all people who are well off, and, and I understand, there's in a sense that when you look at the world as a whole, all of us are well off. But, but you understand, James is talking about a person that's truly wealthy and a person who is not. Uh, James is not saying that all people uh, that he describes here, uh, that, that all wealthy people are that way. I have known well-off people who had much financially and who were also godly. I have known some of them. But James is making it clear that they are the exception. They are, are rare. That, that, that's not how most wealthy people act. The reason is because 
money, money is their God. Money is their, becomes their, their possessions become their, their idol. It's, it's what they're all about. Jesus uh, said this in Matthew chapter 19. He said, yes, I tell you that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's not harder from God's perspective. You guys understand that, right? The blood of Jesus cleanses anybody's sin. Rich, poor, or anywhere in between. But from the wealthy person's perspective, it becomes incredibly difficult because all we're called to do is surrender everything to God. I mean, that's it. You want to follow Jesus? <laughs> Take up your cross and follow me daily is what he says. And, and, and for the person who has much, and we've seen it, we see biblical examples of it, the person who has much, the idea of, of, of letting it all go in the sense that, I, that I'm, God, it, it all belongs to you. Whatever you want to do in and through me and with this stuff, it's all yours. For most wealthy people, not all, but for most wealthy people, that's a price they're not willing to pay. It's too high, it's too, it's too, high, it's too hard, the idea of that. And so, so they won't do it. And uh, down, I think it's in verse uh, 7, again, uh, James. Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called, the, the, the name of Jesus? Really, so in reality, aren't they blaspheming that name? Because, number one, most of them are, are worshiping idols, their, their money, their possessions, their whatever. But also, and, and I, I found this to be true. Maybe some of you have as well. I found this to be true. Again, not all, but many well-to-do people don't want to have anything to do with this whole Jesus stuff. Not interested in it. They have their house. They have their nice cars. They have their uh, expensive suits. They have whatever it is they have, their toys, all that kind of stuff. And that's what they're focused on. The whole Jesus thing is not something that interests them. And I have found that often th- that there, there's, a, there's a connection between wealthy people and those who are the first to uh, disparage the Christian belief. That they are often the ones who are the quickest to, to uh, attack Christianity. Have y'all found that to be the case? Did any of y'all, I, I read this this week. Uh, I think it's fairly recently, but anybody, anybody read uh, My, Miley Cyrus's, uh, the quote from Miley Cyrus about her thoughts on uh, people that actually believe the Bible? This is a girl, by the way, who, who was raised in church, from what I understand, made a profession of faith early in her life or, or was, was, was baptized, and at one point said that the church was her greatest source of, of strength. Um, here's what Miley Cyrus recently said. She said, those people, that's y'all, <laughs> And me, and me. Those people, the ones who believe that, say, Noah's Ark was a real seafaring vessel, that's insane, she said. We've outgrown that fairy tale like we've outgrown Santa and the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, it is. It's tragic. It's tragic. But it's been my experience that oftentimes it's the people who are, who are I mean, in this, as you're referring, really wealthy people that are the most resistant to the idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, I want to I I make sure that you hear me on this. I'm not condemning people that, that have, have money. I, that, that's not the point. We can admire a person that works hard and, 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 and brings themselves up and, and has acquired wealth in those and they've, they've worked hard for it. It's one thing to acquire, to, to admire a person for that. But when you begin to think that somehow that person is better than another person because of their, because of their possessions, because of the, the, the amount of money in their bank account, when you begin to think that way, you're exhibiting an earthly mentality. Why? Because that is how the world thinks, isn't it? It's exactly how the world thinks. It's the people who have the most wealth. It's the people who have the most fame, most fortune. Those are the people that, that get the best, the best view in the restaurant, the best seat on the airplane, the best 
perks. Again, nothing wrong with that. They, most of them have to pay for that kind of stuff. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just, I'm just saying that, that those are the people that, that, that have those things. And it, the, the world adopts this idea that, wow, that, that person, that person is really, that person is well, that person. And they look at that person and they're looking at that person ultimately for the idea of what they can get out of that person. And a follower of Jesus should never look at a person that way. We should never look at a person that way. It's not about what we can get out of a person. It's about what can I give to this person? What can I contribute to this person? How can I help this person in their journey, in their walk with God? It is an earthly mentality, this idea that, oh, yeah, there. And, oh, here, you take, you take the best seat. Here, can, can, I, can I get you anything? Can I get? And to the poor person, why are you here? Sit down over there. It's, it's partiality. You're showing partiality. You're showing an earthly mentality. And I would put it this way. You're also showing a spiritual deficiency. And there's a connection between the two of those, obviously. You, you could guess that. But look, I want, you, I want to read again verses 8 through 13. This time I'm going to read it uh, from the NCV. It says, uh, James is saying, this royal law, this is the royal law. He just, he just names this particular. This is the royal law that is found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you obey this law, you are doing, say it, right. If you obey this law, the law of love your neighbor yourself, you are doing right. But if you treat one person as being more important than another, you are sinning. You are guilty of breaking God's law. James doesn't mince words, does he? He doesn't beat around the bush. A person who follows all of God's laws but fails to obey even one command is guilty of breaking all the commands in that law. Because the same God who said you must not be guilty of adultery also said you must not murder anyone. So if you do not take part in adultery but you murder someone, you're guilty of breaking all of God's law. You understand, I mean, you understand what he's saying. You, you, can't, you can't pick and choose. In everything you say and do, remember that you will be judged by the law that makes people free. So you must show mercy to others or God will not show mercy to you when he judges you. But the person who shows mercy can stand without fear at the judgment. There's this, this whole idea of this of, of this idea that James keeps coming back to of obedience to the law. To be more than just a hearer, but to be a doer of the law. He says, listen, you think, oh, I've, I've, never, I've never done this. Have you done this? Well, yeah, I've done that. Then you're guilty. You're guilty. It's, it's not, well, I've never, I've never done, but you've done this. You're guilty of God's law. You've broken God's law. You have to keep all of God's Law, the law that applies to us, that is specific for, for the followers of Jesus. You have to obey God. You have to be a doer of the word, right? What does he keep saying? A doer of the word and not merely a hearer of the word. And listen, I'm going to say this to y'all uh, all, with all due respect to everybody. But this is a huge problem among younger generations of churchgoers today. This is a huge problem. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. There is, there seems to be this disconnect. And, and I, I, I've looked at this and I've tried to figure this out, but there's this disconnect. Now listen to me, and most of you, some of the teenager stuff are over here. You guys listen to me on this. There is this disconnect between people's theology, what they say they believe, and their morality. How they live their life, how they act, what they, what they say is okay and what, what is not okay. There's this disconnect between, between what I say I believe. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe. 
but then all this stuff that this royal law that his word is, well, I, you know, no, I don't no, I can do this. I don't. There's this disconnect between their theology and their morality. And that can't be. That can't be. Not if, if, this, if this faith that we keep talking about, not if it's authentic, not if it's real, not if it's actually the kind of faith that saves you. You have to be, I know I'm a broken record, you have to be a doer of the word. But that's because James says, and he's going to say it again. You have to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And there is a spiritual deficiency in your life if you think that you can keep some of the law, not all the law. And we're not talking about perfection here. We, I know we all stumble, we all make sense. That, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about people that just ignore. I'm just not going to do that because I don't like that part. There's a spiritual deficiency in your life if you think that you can, can keep some of it or like some of it and not like all of it. You have to take all of it. Otherwise, there's this, this spiritual deficiency. Something's lacking, missing in your spiritual life. Included in that is the idea of partiality, that, that I, I can treat some people one way and some people another way. No. No place for it in the body of Christ. You do understand that that also applies when you go outside the church walls, right? That jerk at work, you've got to love him as much as you love yourself. I know, I know, right? Dang. <laughs> hey, listen, listen to me. The, the, the loner, y'all know what I'm saying? The loner at school, or maybe the girl that's not as popular as, as the rest of them, you have to love her just like you love, as much as you love yourself. The neighbor that won't give you the time of day, and I realize that there are some people that just won't, they just flat out won't let you love on them. But, but when the opportunities are there, when we have the opportunity to express the love of God to people, we cannot, we cannot judge how we're going to love them based on the size of their, their bank account or, or anything else for that matter. There's no place for it in the body of Christ. And so the body, when the body leaves these walls, when the body goes out these doors in a little while, that idea has to go with us. By the way, when James quotes this royal law. He's, he's quoting, it's, it's, it's from Leviticus chapter 19 and, from, and Jesus repeats it in, in Luke chapter 10. She'll love your neighbor. She'll, you love other people. That's the idea of the neighbor, not just the guy that lives next door to you. You love, you love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of the same concept when Jesus says, treat other people the way you would want them to treat you. It's that same concept. And this is an idea that we keep coming. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, come back to it again. It's the idea that all ground at the cross is level. That everybody needs this Savior and everybody comes, regardless of how much money you have or don't have. Listen, when people walk through the doors of cross-culture church, by faith, we shouldn't see a person who is well-off or a person who isn't well-off. We shouldn't see a, a, a person whose skin color is darker or a person whose skin color is lighter. We shouldn't see a person who's a, of Hispanic heritage or, or European heritage. Heritage or, or Asian heritage, what we should see is a person that God loved enough to die for, who's of infinite worth and value. And we have, we have, to, we have to treat everybody the same if we're the body of Christ. I was, uh, this was a number of years ago, I was pastoring at another church, and um, a, a guy came up to me, a, a member of the church came up to me, uh, rather financially well off apparently, a uh, well off person in the church came up to me, and he introduced himself to me. Now, I had been at the church for several years. I obviously knew who this guy was. Y'all know where this, y'all, I knew who the guy was. 
But he comes up and he introduces, puts his hand out, and he, he shakes my hand. He says, he says, Tom Brown. And that wasn't really his, his name. I changed his name to protect the guilty. But he says, he says uh, Tom Brown. Here's what he does. Can y'all see me? Tom Brown, one of your more minor contributors. Well, I knew what that meant. I knew why he did that. I knew what he was saying. <laughs> you better know which side your bread is buttered on, son. You, you better remember who pays the light bill around here. You, you, better, you better give me the respect I deserve. You better make sure I get special attention. You better treat me right. You know what? I always did treat that guy right. But not because he had money, which he did. But because I should treat him the same way I'd want to treat myself. That's what I should do. I had another guy who uh, offered to, to get, buy me a, a new car. I don't know if I ever told you this or not, baby. <laughs> <laughs> offered to buy me a new car every, every three or four years. He said, he said I'll, I'll set you up with a new car every three or four years. And listen, he was really, he was really clever in the way he did this. He, did, it, it didn't just come, he didn't come right out. I mean, the car part, yeah, that came right out. But he, in the way he said this, it, it didn't really come right out and say it, but you knew exactly what he was saying. L- long as you kiss my ring, long as, long as you make sure that, that you, 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 you treat me right, that, I, that I'm... Never did get that car. <laughs> you, know, you know why? <laughs> He's dead now. I never did get that car, but let me tell you why I never got that car. I never got that car, and I'm, listen, I'm, not, I'm sure not perfect, but I refuse to treat that guy any better than anybody else. I just refuse to. Listen, I can, I can stand here and I can say this to you with absolute honesty. I have no idea what any one of you gives financially to this church. No idea. I, the, the elders of this church have given me permission to look at their giving records or the staff's giving records. If, if for some reason I, I felt, if, if God laid, moved on my spirit that there might be a problem, they have given me permission to look at their giving records and they have permission to look at mine. And, and the reason we do that is because if the leadership of the church is not being obedient to God in the area of giving, I just don't believe God can bless it. I, I, don't, I don't think he can. And besides, I don't think, how can I ask you to be faithful to giving to the ministry of this church if I'm not doing it myself? So... So, so we have that between us. But I can honestly say I have no idea what anybody gives to the church. You may give tens of thousands of dollars to this church or you may give nothing. But you will never, you will never have me treat you one way or the other because of how much you gave or didn't give. That, that's how it should be. There's no place for partiality in the body of Christ. No place for it. Look, uh, in Acts chapter 10. Uh, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no, What? favoritism. God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. There's nothing to do with how much money they have or the color of their skin or what language they speak. Galatians uh, chapter 3. There is neither Greek, there's neither Jew nor Greek. And that was the the big distinction back in those days in this part of the world. You were were either of Jewish heritage or you were a Greek. And that Greek was a term that was just used to mean anybody that wasn't Jewish. Gentile would be kind of that that same idea. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Similar idea in Colossians uh, chapter 3. In the new life, this new life that we have in Christ, in the new life, there's no difference between Greeks and Jews. Those who are circumcised and those who are not circumcised or or people who are foreigners or Scythians. There's no difference between slaves and free people. But Christ is in all believers. 
And Christ is all that is important. That's how it is. That's how it should be. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that one of the uh, DNA statements of cross-culture church, one of our defining, non-negotiable absolutes, as we, we call them around here. And I know we just went over our DNA statements just a few weeks ago, uh, but just to bring this on, I'm so grateful that one of our defining, non-negotiable absolutes at cross-culture church looks like this. Cross-culture church will strive to cross all cultural barriers, social, economic, and ethnic. We will work for an authentic community where the color of a person's skin or the amount of money in their bank account will have no bearing on their place in the community. We will strive to make everyone feel as if they belong. I, 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 I'm sure we're not perfect. I'm sure we're whatever. But, but I'm so glad that from the very foundation of, the, of this body, of this local body of Christ, that that was part of our DNA. That this is who we're going to be. And the person comes in, we're going to treat every single person as if they're the same. James says, you are fulfilling the royal law. If you love a person the way you would love yourself. If you treat them the way you would treat yourself. If you do for them the way you would do for yourself. And it's interesting. I know I got to bring this thing to a close, but it's so interesting to me that James uses this phrase, the law that sets men or sets people free. Or the New American Standard uh, puts it, uh, the law of liberty. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Did y'all notice that when we read through it a moment ago? What's interesting about that is you don't tend to think of law as something that sets you free, do you? You think of law as something that restricts you, something that limits you. Any of you, after church today, that goes out on 540, the law says you can do a maximum of 70 miles per hour. It restricts you. It limits you. Now, in your free will, you can go more than 70. But you have to be willing to accept the consequences of your decision to break the law. Right? The law of God is designed to set us free. That's the law of liberty. Well, how does, the, how does God's law set me free? Well, think about it. Not only are you in God's will, James is clear about that. You're, if you love people the way you'd love yourself, if you don't show partiality, not only are you in God's will, you therefore are not in sin, and so you have no consequences as a result of, of that sin that you didn't commit. You've got no consequences you have to worry about. And besides that, I was, I was thinking about this, and, and you've all, we've all seen this, right? Maybe at work. Y'all, y'all seen the guy at work? <laughs> y'all seen the guy at work that... Kisses up to the boss because he's trying to move up the ladder. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Listen. <laughs> the law of liberty sets you free from that. Because you don't have to worry about what, what am I going to do to impress him? What, what, should I get? what kind of Christmas present should I get him? How, how, how can I uh, make myself look more important in their, their eyes? Listen, you're set free from all that stuff. Because all you got to do is treat them the same way you treat yourself. That's all you got to do. You're set free from all of that nonsense and politics and whatever all goes on in the office or in the, whatever. It's just, no, all I got to do is love them the way, the way I, I, I would want to be loved, the way I, I love myself. Partiality, no place for it. No place for it. It's not part of the body of Christ. But when you and I, when we love a person, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a person who walks through those doors for the very first time or for the thousandth time, when we love that person the way we would love ourselves, that's when we're displaying, not partiality, but that's when we're displaying the love of God and showing them the worth and the value that they have in the sight of God. That's the body of Christ. That's who we are. And when we get that right, I know we're not perfect, we don't get everything right, but when we get that right, not only are we honoring God, but I believe that'd be one of the keys to the continued growth of cross-culture church when we, when we make everybody feel like they're part of, everybody belongs. Because you know what? It's one, one of the characteristics of human nature. Everybody 
wants to go someplace where they belong. They do. Well, obviously, God's expectation for His children is to do things differently from the way much of the world does, including the way we treat people. As we heard today, in the world, people who have wealth get special treatment, and often people without money get treated unfairly. That is not to be the case in the church. We can show the difference Christ can make when we treat everyone the same, love everyone the way we love ourselves. Most of us love ourselves enough to do whatever we need to make sure we're taken care of. As followers of Jesus, we should do the same for everyone. A life of faith leaves no room for partiality. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here, uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross Culture Church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to leave. Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.